And uh, so I'm sitting in the car and I catch a glimpse of myself in the rear view mirror and I'm like 180 pounds. My eyes are sunken in, my skin's all yellow. I'm shaking, I'm super dirty. I'm in a wife beater. I look like an episode of Cops, right? That, that meth guy, like, like how did this happen? And like, I'm just beating myself up. I'm full of shame and stuff. So I, I prepare it up in the spoon and I'm ready to just I draw it up in the needle and just, yeah, I would definitely would have died. It was, it was a lot of heroin. And there's this bright, bright light in the, in the seat next to me. Just out of nowhere, super bright. Like I couldn't even see anything anymore. I didn't want to look because I'm, you know, I just looked at myself, I'm full of shame, I'm full of guilt, I'm full of just beating myself up and then there's this light and I knew who it was, right? I knew who it was, but I didn't want to look. What's up guys, welcome back to episode 29. As you can see, our surroundings are a little bit different because, well, we, our guest is so special that we had to travel far, far distance. Moved locations and everything. I don't travel. <laughs> he looks like Aquaman. Um, and he's our youth pastor. And you've heard a lot of his messages, messages because me and Luke like yet. to rip them off a lot because they're so good and so knowledgeable. In fact, this episode is pretty much ripped off from, uh, from yesterday. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of going to be talking about, I guess, God's purpose for our lives, which it's a big topic because I feel like a lot of kids these days and people in general, they don't have a purpose. And that is, I think, what leads to most of the depression and the lack of knowing who they are and confidence a lot. So No, I think, I think purpose is really important to know purpose. I think a lot of people go, why am I here, God? What, what's the point of this life? And for people who are atheists or don't really have a relational God, they kind of float through going, there's no, there's no purpose. It's like that YOLO attitude. Right now is what I have. I need to seize the day, like manifest the best for myself that I can. And, and that puts a lot of pressure on a person, especially when things don't start working out mm -hmm. and life starts beating you up. So one well, thing a lot of Christians struggle with purpose as well, their purpose and identity in Christ, they don't know what that is or what it should be. Yeah, especially in Western Christianity, we're just yeah. like, we go to church, we stand up, sit down, we sing, we listen, and then we go in the parking lot and we're like, hey, you cut me off. It's like, where's the love? Yeah. Where's the relationship? So, I mean, I kind of cut down to the deepest. I, I, I took the question of what is our purpose and tried to go like to the first layer of it. And so I've, I've, asked, I've asked my question, like this question a lot is like, why did God create man and woman? And why, like why? Because God doesn't need anything to make himself happy or feel fulfilled. He's God, otherwise he wouldn't be God if he needed something to fulfill him. So he made us not to fulfill himself. So why, why did he make us? I don't think he could not have made us. Like he, and what I mean by that is, you're right, God wasn't up in heaven with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect union and go, something's missing. We yeah. need a pet. He doesn't need his let's, creation yeah. to fulfill himself. Yeah, let's create men and then we can like make them fight and watch them and, and be entertained. But um, God is so much love. Mm -hmm. He's so much power. He's so much goodness that from that, it was an outpouring of love that could not be contained. Mm -hmm. Right? So he didn't create an imperfect world. He created the world perfect. He stepped back and he said it was good. And I, I believe it was out of his perfect love and his perfect power that 
it just birthed the earth. He couldn't, he couldn't not create, mm-hmm. right? As a perfect being, it just sprung forth from him. This, I think his love is creation. so great that it has to almost share itself to others to like. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, still continuing. The universe is still expanding. The yeah. outpouring is still continuing. And remember, when he first did it, it wasn't outside of himself. It wasn't like, oh, here's, here's the earth and here's me. We were one. We walked in the garden with the Lord, right? Yeah. It says we were walking in the garden. And then when uh, they were tempted by the fruit and Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. fruit, God was like, where are you, right? It wasn't because he couldn't. They were playing an ultimate game of hide and seek and God didn't know where they were. But now there was that separation, that chasm mm-hmm. that could not be breached anymore. So then it was God and, and his creation. Man. No, but so like if he created them with a specific purpose and God is all-knowing and all-powerful and he knew that we would fall, why create us in the first place? Mm-hmm. And then why not create us with the intent to, you know, like this, for, that's like the Pandora's box of questions. Yeah. Was it the same purpose? Well, it's all, all kind of answered by free will at the end of the day, yeah. which is why cool. create Satan as well to even like, introduce like the concept of evil right Mm -hmm. so perfect love cannot exist outside of free choice right there's no such thing as as perfect love without the choice to love Mm -hmm. god could force us to love and i do it all the time in youth group i'm like i love jesus i'm a jesus robot like he's like yes worship me love me but that's absolute love and that's absolute power when you create something you go okay love me or not i'm still Mm -hmm. the most powerful thing in the world yeah. yeah Yeah, so from that, we know now why God created us and it doesn't have to fulfill himself. It's just because of his amazing love. It still begs the question, what's our purpose in, in that love? And I think it boils down to glorifying God is our main purpose. And so... I think there's a perspective too that we have to add in that says, you know, people read the Bible and they're like, where am I in the Bible? This is about me. This is my story of God. And it's, it's not a story about us. It's God's story, mm-hmm. right? So the, the purpose of man, we'll get into that, Bo, but from the moment in the Garden of Eden and the moment of the fall, God began his good purpose of reconciling us to him, mm-hmm. right? Rather than just going, hey, I'll start over, destroy it. What did he do? He clothed them, right? And then he cursed them. Not as like, and banish them from the garden because if we had, as humanity, eaten from the tree of immortality, right, we would have been forever in our sin. So we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and our eyes were open and we were like God. And then if we had eaten from the tree of life, we would have been forever stuck in that sin, unrepairable, unreconcilable. So he kicks us out of the garden and the flaming sword in the front. So people read that and they're like, oh, vengeful God, terrible God. But it was really God's knowledge and wisdom and love for us that he kicked us out. He cursed us rather than killed us. And from that second, he set into motion our redemption, mm-hmm. right? Because from we know that from the line of Adam came Jesus. Jesus. That's the cool thing about the Bible is everything in the Bible leads to Jesus. Yeah. And that's really what, what matters is for us to share Jesus and understanding how that book or how everything yeah just leads to Jesus and his salvation and his sacrifice for our salvation and then what we need to do to accept that salvation and then also how we can be fulfilled in it I think in a way too because there's a lot of Christians out there that aren't fulfilled by Jesus's just salvation they feel like they need to do something more and you really don't but I think 
purpose is like, it makes you fulfilled. It makes you happy in a sense too, if you know what you need to do and what your purpose is. I'm using this like the same word purpose over and over again, but it just makes you feel like you belong and like you have, there's meaning in life with purpose. And so I'll, glorifying God is our purpose. But how, how do we glorify God? Yeah, so there's, the, there's purpose that you keep saying, mm-hmm. which is that broader category, and then there's our call, okay. right? So our call is the way in which we fulfill our purpose in, in glorifying God, glorify God. Okay. right? Yeah. So we all have the same purpose, mm-hmm. and I think we should say building a relationship with God, okay. right? Coming into relationship with God. Now, how is the best way to fulfill that for ourselves? And that's our calling. So many people put it outside of themselves and they're like, oh, my call is to bring people to Christ or my call is to lead worship or my call is to help the poor. And that really, I feel like that limits what God is doing through people because the spiritual gifts are so vast and amazing that when you when you say, hey, I'm a missionary, you get you put yourself in this box and then God's like, well, I kind of need you to work outside of the mission field. And you go, oh, no. No, we decided this 10 years ago that I'm a missionary God and that's where I'm at and that's my call. And God goes, okay, I'll keep using you there, but I really need you kind of like in this capacity. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we, I like how you're like leaving purpose is this overreaching kind of like, glorifying right? To God. glorifying yeah. God, building a relationship with God. And then how do I fulfill that? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like you said before, it's like those layers. Yeah. Here's my purpose. What's my call on that? And then even deeper is how am I responding to that call, mm-hmm. right? Because we still have free will. So, yeah, I get it. Here's my purpose. Okay, I feel this call in my life. No, nope, I'm not going to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So we still have that choice when it comes down at the end of the okay. day. Yeah. So why do you think so many Christians, even though they know that, why do you think they don't chase that? I think it's calling? a leadership problem. And why are they so scared of their call? I think it's a leadership problem. I think because we've... We want to fill the pews so much, so as pastors, we preach this prosperity gospel, this like amazing Jesus who loves you and forgives you no matter what, and there's no accountability. There's no higher standard. There's no nose to the grindstone, right? But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and people just stop reading, and they go, yes! And then Jesus says, go and sin no more. <laughs> and you're like, oh, he's always going to forgive me. I'm just going to forget uh, part B of that verse where he yeah. says, go and sin no more, right? So as... Or when you accept Jesus, you'll say you'll give your life to him. A yeah. lot of people skip that part too. They're like, yeah, I believe it, but I'll just leave that in the corner till, till the end. Yeah. I think, you know, there's the ego, there's pride. There's, there's, there's a lot of things that you have to work through. So professing Jesus as your Lord and Savior saves your spirit. Mm-hmm. You're in heaven, you're sealed, you're locked. You're good. Now you still have your soul, right? And that's a good question. Is spirit and soul kind of different things? And then you still have your flesh, right? So your spirit is saved. You are with Jesus eternally in the new heaven and the new earth, right? Now you have your soul to worry about. I never knew there was a difference between spirit and soul. Well, I mean, it's controversial. Maybe they're interchangeable. They are. But think about the Trinity of God. How? But what would you think is like the difference? So our, our soul, or maybe our consciousness, is a better way to say it, right? So we have that spirit. We have the spirit of Christ within us. We have our spirit. Our spirit is saved. Then we still have our consciousness here on earth, and we still have our flesh. So the consciousness and flesh separate? I w- yeah. I mean, does the consciousness live on when the flesh dies? 
I I don't know. Like, these are things that we have to think about. So I had one professor believe that when you die, you you go to sleep, like you're going under surgery, like anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And then you wake up like a second later and you're in the new heaven and the new earth. So you're like, you're kind of with Christ, but you don't realize it and thousands of years could pass and then you wake up and it feels like 10 seconds and you're in the new heaven and the earth. Yeah. Right? Who's to say he's wrong? I don't know. But what I do know is that I say, Jesus, I love you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. I stand up on Sunday. I come forward. All the elders pray on you. Whatever your church says, you're saved. You're a saint in heaven. God looks down on you. He sees Christ. He sees Christ in you. You're good. But what's the problem? We're still here on earth, right? I'm still caught in the flesh. I still have my consciousness or my soul. So now how am I going to live my life to fulfill the title that I've already been given? Mm-hmm. Right? So when Jonah was born, he became a brother. Yeah. You didn't do anything. You were a brother. Is there anything that's going to take away your title as brother? No. Now you can be an amazing brother or you can be a really bad brother. Right? That yeah. all depends on are you going to love him? Are you going to take care of him? Are you going to protect him? You're going to give them wedgies all day. Like, you see what I mean? So as Christians, we accept Christ Jesus and we are sealed in heaven. Now, am I going to be a good Christian or am I going to be a bad Christian? Mm -hmm. Nothing I do is going to lose that eternal salvation. But I also believe that the things in this life, and Jesus says it, like kind of dictate where we're going to wind up in the new kingdom. Mm -hmm. I think that leads perfectly into your testimony is the story of you kind of knowing what you should do, but kind of ignoring it until... Yeah. Until well, it was called too. So, so growing up, I was Catholic every Sunday going to Catholic school. I always read, they had acolytes, Mm -hmm. so that's where they picked like kids out of the thing and they'd go up and read the first scripture. And it was like, First John chapter four, and everybody would clap, and then they'd be like, All right, get them off the stage. (laughs) Um, so I, I grew up doing that, I never really knew why I was always picked to read scripture in front of the church. And then I got to high school and I was on the football team and the coach picked me to lead. It was a Catholic high school. And before every football game, we had a little chapel service. And I was in charge of organizing the music and giving a little sermon. I didn't even know I was giving a sermon, right? And like inspiration and prayer and stuff. And I was like, I always keep getting picked for this stuff. It's really weird. Then my senior year, I wanted to get best all around. That was like the award to get. And they gave me the theology award. And my mom was so proud. She's clapping and crying. I go, the theology award? What? Logan Pence. He got the best all around. And he missed the field goal for the, the championship game. But that's another sermon. Um, but yeah, so uh, my senior year, I'm, I'm 17. And I'm, I'm behind my house. And I'm just kind of praying without knowing that I'm praying. Because I didn't have, at that point, I didn't have a relationship with Christ Jesus. I just knew who Christ was. I knew I was his, I knew the stories, but I didn't know that he was relational. And I was praying in my backyard and I'm like, Jesus, where, where's our modern day prophets? Where's our saints? Where's the people who are gonna lead us and guide us and, and help us? And it started pouring and all I heard was this big, you. And I, to this day, I don't know if it was audible or in my head or if it was the thunder and I'm just tricking myself, right? <laughs> so I heard you. And that really messed me up. And from that point on, I tried to run as far away from calling that call you as mean. I could, right? And I, I don't think he meant you like, oh, Matthew, you're the savior and this and that. And I thought it, he was like, it's up to you guys now. I've given you scripture. You know about my son. It's up to you now. 
and and it wasn't a command you it was like if you want to that's why i created you i have a call for you step into that Mm -hmm. and i was like nope i'm out of here so i went to college and i played football we did pretty good then i came back i was from florida i went to school in new york i came back to florida went to law school went to cooking school i couldn't figure out what i wanted to do because I was running from my call, I had no purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm searching, searching, nothing's working out. I feel like an alien. I finally go, all my friends are having a really good time. They're firefighter paramedics. So I went to paramedic school, I went to fire academy, got a really good job at a, a really, really prestigious city and uh, just worked as a firefighter. But the whole time there was this thing pulling me saying, this isn't what you're meant, to, isn't do. What you're meant to do, mm-hmm. right? You're, I was good at it. I was a good paramedic. I was a good firefighter. But just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's your call. Yeah. Right? Um, and I'd pray with people as they were dying or like, you know, bleeding out or whatever. And the guys would laugh at me. Right? I'm, I'm holding like a dead person or a dying person and I'm praying over them and they're kind of laughing at me. And I go, this feels weird. Like I'm not supposed to be here. So I think it was that that lack of identity, that lack of feeling like I'm doing what God wants, that kind of led me into my addictive personalities and my behaviors. So I broke my foot in college and the team prescribed me painkillers and I had like multiple surgeries and I never missed it down. I kept playing on this broken foot really uh, on pain medication. And I graduated and I was addicted to opiates and I didn't know, right? Because I had never done drugs or drank before college. So I get out and I'm withdrawn and I have no idea what's going on with me. And I'm bartending at the time to put myself through paramedic school. And someone's like, you're withdrawn here. And they give me a pill and I felt better. And I go, okay, this is my life now. So um, as I was confronted with my lack of call and my purpose, I started, it's a, it's a slow march into, like you don't just wake up one day and you're like shooting heroin in your veins, right? So it's this. It's just fun, it's, it's partying, it's all good, it's, it's only on the weekends, then it's, oh, then it's only after five o'clock. Mm-hmm. And now it's like I'm waking up and, and smoking and drinking and taking pills. So did you immediately know that you were like addicted when he gave you that pill in the bar or did it just... No, I, like something awoke inside of me. That uh, like for, for true addicts, people who are really addicted to substance there's a there's a it's not your fault it's a hundred percent a disease and it's genetic and when you have a beer or you have you smoke or you alter your consciousness in some way something wakes up inside of you and you just you know it right you might not know it but looking back you're like okay yeah i'm definitely an addict there's people that oh i drank too much the other weekend i think i'm an addict and you're like okay (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're not. You just, you know, you you were a little irresponsible, and and you can come back from that. So, um, drinking and and smoking isn't necessarily like a sin. Yeah. For everybody, it is for me because it it's what I carry. So, um, if you knew you were addicted, why didn't you like take it to to God like immediately? That's you, a good question. There were, I don't know how many times I sat. Outside, I'd stumble out of the bar at like 8 a.m., go home, wasted, and cry, begging God to take it from me. 
like on the steps. I remember so many times, so many steps. Like I don't know why I had steps in front of all these apartments that I lived in, <laughs> but I'd be sitting there weeping and begging God to take this from me. Why? And then swearing that I'm not going to drink tomorrow. Like I'm going to sleep it off. I'm just, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to take pills. I'm not going to get any drugs. And we're going to do this, Lord, you and me. And the next night, same thing. I get the same thing. Did you really want him to take it from you? Or did you just want to like believe that you wanted him to take so it? So that's a great question. Um, I 100% wanted him to take it from me. But I didn't want any of the hard work that came with it. I just wanted him to take it from me. And what happens when you just get something without any hard work? You don't appreciate it. You don't learn anything. Right? God 100% could have taken it from me in that instance. And I would have learned nothing. Nothing. So what he was saying, and I couldn't hear it through my selfish, sobbing, ego, pride, tears, was, yeah, I'll do it with you. Work with me. And please take it from me, God, please. Why won't you? And he's going, I'll work with you. Let's do it together. No, no, just take it from me. Fine, you're not going to take it from me. I'll just do it again. Mm-hmm. Right? And over and over and over for years, rehabs and counselors and medications, nothing, nothing worked. Trying so hard just to, here's a magic shot that if you take it and you shoot heroin, it'll make you violently ill and you'll never do it again. No, I don't care. I got violently ill and just kept doing it, right? Nothing I could do. And the only thing that I could do was surrender to God and say, okay, let's walk through this together. What were your parents thinking this whole time? They didn't know. They didn't know? How did they not know? Did you hide it from them? No, I left home when I was 17. And just never, just never and I was a really high functioning addict. Like I was, I was paramedic of the year or of the month. As you're addicted to drugs. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the month I went to uh, chief, cause they had this program. If you were addicted, you could go to the fire chief and say, I need help. And they couldn't fire you. They'd have to get you help. Yeah. So like, I just got my like little paramedic of the month award, my name on the plaque. And I was like, chief, I'm addicted. <laughs> I need help. Like, it's bad. Like, I'm coming to work high. I'm driving a fire truck high. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm rescuing cats out of the tree high out of my mind. I don't even know if that was a cat. <laughs> the lady's like, why do you have that pigeon? I was like, yeah, here's your cat. No. Um, but yeah, so I went in rehabs and, and the whole time it was, there was no quick fix for me. It was Jesus wanted me to walk through this with him because he had a call for my life. He had a purpose for my life. Yeah. And, you know, you, you say, okay, why would God's plan for me to get super addicted to opiates and heroin and alcohol? Why would that be his plan for my life? And then I think we have to understand, too, that his ways are way higher than our ways. And his understanding in our finite minds, we can't see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So, like, now I'm working with other men that struggle with addiction. You know, I'm, I'm going into the jail. I'm relatable. You know, how many wants that pleaded pastor that goes in and goes, hey, just turn to Jesus and that'll do, you'll be fine. Just don't drink anymore. And they're like, get out of here. Yeah. Right? You're so, relatable now. I'm really, yeah, awesome. You're so cool, man. <laughs> Look at my ugly sweater. Look at my tattoo. Um, but, there, but there was a super low point. And, you know, I'm in transitional houses. I'm in halfway houses. I finally went home. And told my parents and my dad, I remember one night I was withdrawing so hard 
and my dad just loved me. And he's sitting on top of me while I'm like withdrawing. And I don't know if you know what it is, but it's crazy hallucinations and, and your blood feels like it's razor blades oh, when you're withdrawing. That's why it's so hard to get out because you're like, I just want to stop shooting heroin. But if you stop for like a day, your, your body literally is in so much pain. That's crazy. Like your veins hurt. I don't know how to describe it. And it sounds pretty awful. It sounds, yeah. It's, oh my gosh. And I was in, I was in this homeless detox shelter at the, in, towards the end. And I was hallucinating. I thought there was a monster in the ceiling. I, I swear, like legit monster in the ceiling. And I wake up and I'm handcuffed to a, a fire rescue stretcher. And it's my stretcher from a year ago. Oh, wow. And my ex-partner, right, that was my zone where the homeless shelter was. And I'm handcuffed to my own stretcher in my truck and my partner's going, Matt, Matt. And I'm like, Torres. And I'm handcuffed to, I'm like, why am I handcuffed? He's like, you are beating up everybody in the shelter. And I'm like, I don't even know, what, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah. Yeah, they had to restrain you, now you're handcuffed to a stretcher. I go, I don't even know what I was doing. He goes, and the, the disgust that I saw on my partner's face, like he was my brother, like, and, I, and he looked at me and he was just disgusted with me. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was like, okay, there's no coming back from this. So how old were you at this point? Like 29? Mm -hmm. I just got eight years clean December 7th. Thank you guys. So, yeah, thank you. And I didn't think that was ever going to happen. Yeah. But one night so was I was that, just, Was that your lowest point in the fire? No, no, so... <laughs> okay, it's, it's worse. No, yeah, it goes way lower. Um, so did you lose your job at that point when you started beating everyone else? Or, did you, or had you quit it prior? Oh, no, they asked me to resign. You know, because I kept going to rehab and I kept slipping and I kept messing up. And, and so they just finally were like, we, we just need you to resign. Because they couldn't legally, they couldn't fire me because I had admitted that I had a problem. But I had surpassed the integrity and the honesty yeah. and the to for what it is to be a firefighter yeah. paramedic. So and did that put you down like even deeper in your hole? Like feeling no, because I was so high all the time, I didn't care. So my worry, my first wife left me. I lost my house on the intercoastal. I lost all my cars. I was literally just homeless in in like Fort Lauderdale. Um, yeah, and then I was digging garbage out of canals. <laughs> That was my job. Yeah, I got in a boat every morning and I would go and I'd pull garbage out of canals. Like from firefighter, paramedic, lawyer, captain of the football team to garbage men of the canals. Yeah. Right? And it was... But I was happy. To now, pastor of the youth. Oh, yeah. Pastor of the youth. <laughs> pastor of the youth. <laughs> um, no, but one night I just... I couldn't take it anymore. I was withdrawn really bad and I had uh, driven to Miami to my dealer's house and just got enough heroin to kill an elephant. Uh, I was in a stolen car. Just drove to this Popeye's where I always shoot up because they have these huge hedges and nobody can really see me. What was your perception of God at this point? Did you think he was still even real or? Yeah, I, I never, I never doubted God. You never doubted his existence? Yeah, okay. but I really believe that I had just done too much bad stuff to be saved. Mm -hmm. Like that he was just done with me. Yeah. And uh, so I'm sitting in the car and I catch a glimpse of myself in the rearview mirror and I'm like 180 pounds. My eyes are sunken in, my skin's all yellow. I'm shaking, I'm super dirty, I'm in a wife beater. I look like an episode of Cops, mm -hmm. right? That, that meth guy, like, yeah. like, how did this happen? 
And like, I'm just beating myself up. I'm full of shame and stuff. So I, I prepare it up in the spoon and I'm ready to just Damn. draw it up in the needle and just, yeah, I definitely would have died. It was, it was a lot of heroin. And Where did you, uh, so you got your money from just scooping it out and then you just spent it all on heroin. Yeah, I got paid like in cash every day. So as soon as I got paid, I would be like shaking. I, I remember my friend lent me a scooter and I drove from Fort Lauderdale to Miami in the pouring rain on I-95 on a scooter oh that only God. goes like 40 miles an hour. I can't believe I didn't get arrested then. I'm like in the side lane and cars are, I-95 is nuts. I don't know if you guys know. No, it. I can imagine. It's like it's, a five lane highway or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah both ways. Oh my God. So, and I'm and it's pouring down rain and I'm like shaking and, and your friend just, was like yes yeah, this, this heroin addict a good idea landing my scooter did you lie to him yeah <laughs> dude, that's all I did I was so good at manipulating and just getting what I wanted why are you guys making me relive this because <laughs> it's important it helps other people be sure yeah um so yeah I had it in the syringe and I was ready to just do it and there's this bright bright light in the in the seat next to me just out of nowhere super bright like i couldn't even see anything anymore you know when someone turns on the light when you're driving in the dark and you can't see out the windows that's how it was like everything just from, like a nap or like in the yeah. middle of the night when dad wakes you up for the airport and just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sure yeah. Up. Yeah. That experience. <laughs> that's that snow mask guys when dad wakes me up early to fly to switzerland <laughs> no that didn't happen to me no, so there's this, this bright light in the seat next to me, and I didn't want to look because I'm, you know, I just looked at myself. I'm full of shame. I'm full of guilt. I'm full of just beating myself up, and then there's this light, and I knew who it was, right? I knew who it was, but I didn't want to look because I didn't want to see the same face of shame that I saw in my partner, Taurus, right? Because Jesus was definitely going to look at me with shame and despair and disappointment. would have been the worst to see disappointment on Jesus' face. But then all of a sudden, like this just peace came over me. And all I felt, I was surrounded by just love. So I looked, and it was Jesus sitting next to me in the seat. And there was no disappointment. There was no sadness. There was no, yeah. it was just love. Like he was looking at me like he loved me. And it was, it was crazy. Like, I, can't, I, I try to tell this story, and it's just so hard to say. And people go, well, what did Jesus look like? And all I can say is that he was every picture I'd ever seen of him all at once simultaneously, and yet not. Does that make sense? Like, no, he it does like, not make sense. <laughs> every picture, every Matthew painting. Matthew, draw him for me. Every, every stained glass window, everything, all at once, and still could not capture like his glory and yeah. you know what i mean is the picture like that little girl drew like anything close i mean i no 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 he's way better than that <laughs> he's little girl sucks at drawing <laughs> no, right like but like how was why, he in robes or was he in like some some dude i'm telling you fresh. it was so bright it was just and it was Space. it wasn't as much as seen as it was feeling and yeah. knowing Right, and to this day, I'm still like maybe I was just hallucinating because I, I was. Mean, I feel with, like that's how Moses saw Jesus, like when he was getting the commandments or God, which is his, his super bright, like, glowing. That so he had to put on shrouds so people. Would yeah, who knows? Jesus might have just been standing by a bush, and he's like, I, I don't know. The bush is on fire. People are like, draw it for us. He's like, fine. It was on fire. Okay, <laughs> you get it now, like the burning bush. Like, 
A bush that didn't burn? What do you mean, Moses? Ah, yeah. Here, follow these 10 rules. And uh, yeah, so he, he was just right next to me. And what'd you do with the heroin you still had? I, oh, I chucked it out of the window at that moment and my entire life changed for the better. No, um, he, he wasn't requiring anything of me. You know, I was saved. I could, in that moment, I could kill myself if I wanted to. And he was there, and he loved me no matter what my choice was. But in that moment, he, I felt like that he had a purpose for me, and that I wasn't too far gone, and that he still had a calling for me, and that if I was finally willing to walk with him, that, that I could get through this, right? So I, he kind of disappeared, and I just did a little bit to stop shaking and to drive home. Right, mm -hmm. um, and then that next day, I just I checked into another rehab and started the process for the first time, like honestly walking with Christ. Yeah. And although I couldn't see him anymore for like two months, I could feel him, like he was with me, with me. You know, I couldn't see him anymore, but like I started working at this two men in a truck moving company, mm -hmm. and I'd go on these long trips by myself with a giant moving man, and I'm talking to Jesus in the passenger seat, like full on just, hey, you and me, and I wasn't alone. That's awesome. I don't feel like that still today, but I know that that, that time was for me to carry it through. So when yeah. the times that I don't feel him, I know that he's still with me. So and was it like you could just hear his voice almost talking to you, just felt, I, I don't think we can describe it in words what it is like to talk to Jesus, because people are always like define it so much to like how people talk to each other. They're like, it's either a voice or you read it, but with Jesus, is like, there's so many, I don't, you can't describe it, I guess. It's just, I, just, you just know. Well, fast forward um, four years of seminary school and lots of Bible reading and tons of prayer. And yeah. it's, if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, <laughs> what needs to be said? What needs to, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's just, if you're walking in that, yeah, you're walking. 15, 5, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I have um, a little thing at home, a piece of paper I wrote in, I think, sixth grade. And um, our youth pastor had asked us, like, what our goals in life were. And I was like, I want to hear God like Samuel heard God when he was calling his name. Is, is that, like, still possible? Because some people say that, like, yeah, um, absolutely. he, like, withdrew after Jesus, like, died. And he Just doesn't, he doesn't like, yeah, relate to us as closely anymore. But what does Jesus say when he died, when he ascended into heaven? He said, I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to send to you an advocate, a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he left us this, yeah. the Spirit to guide us through. So it's like Jesus, to me at least, talks through the Bible and through the Spirit. Yeah, and so that's a good point, too. So when we're, when we're reading the Bible, and you know those times where you get that... Yeah, the feeling. Yeah, that just... I'm reading, and it could just be some obscure scripture that like doesn't really... But you feel the spirit hit you there. And it's like, okay, let me, let me meditate on this. Let me discern on this scripture. And you feel that feeling. Now you're out in the world and you're walking around and you feel that same, mm -hmm. that's God talking to you, yeah. right? You have a dream, that's God talking to you. You have a vision, that's God that, talking to you. That strong urge to talk somewhere. Yeah. You walk by that piece of litter on the street and you get that, I should pick it up. That, that's God talking to yeah, you. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think a lot of times I avoid that feeling. And I'm trying to just follow as much as I can because I feel like God's telling me, 
you got to do the small things that I tell you to do first until I can trust you to tell you, like if God tells me to do this, that I'll actually obey and have the faith to do it. Because if you can't even do the small things, like just say to someone, oh, by the way, Jesus loves you, or like talk to them about Jesus, why would he tell you to do something greater? Because I'm always like, what's the biggest thing I can do for Jesus? But I think it's got to start out smaller. And like, it doesn't have to be like that. You can see Paul or Saul turning the fall. It falls off the horse and it just switches like that. But I think for me, like my faith has to you start out smaller and start trusting, trusting more. Starts out as a mustard seed, turns into what? So what ministry? is the greatest thing that you can do for Jesus? I don't know. Okay, so God didn't have to create us because he wasn't bored. He didn't need anything. So what is the greatest thing that you can do for the most powerful, amazing, sovereign? To worship him, I guess, is the greatest thing I can do. But like the capacity to share that glory and wisdom with others, I think, is what I'm thinking about. Like He doesn't care about that. Yeah, I know he doesn't. What does he care about? He cares about the relationship. I think it's just your language. Yeah. What is the greatest thing Christ can do through me? And I know it's nuanced, and I know you live like that, but I just, for the people watching, yeah. what is the greatest thing I can do for Jesus? I want to do, I want to, me, mm-hmm. the ego, the pride, what can I do for the kingdom? Nothing. Yeah. Apart from Christ Jesus, there is nothing. What can I allow you to do through me, Lord? Because God's a gentleman. What can what can we do together, like me and Jesus? Yeah, exactly. What can you do together? What's the greatest thing you and Jesus can do together? There's really no limitations. Me and Jesus can like move mountains. No, tell me. I have no idea. There's no limitations. What are you talking about? Well, with like he can do anything like by himself, but he can like use people to do. How? How can God use you? I'm not sure. He's a gentleman. He's not going to take you like a demon-possessed guy. And you're going to be like... Whoa. He's going to knock. But we have to let him in. Because he's a gentleman. Say it again. And look in the camera and say it. He's, he's going to he's gonna, he's gonna knock on your heart. And you're going to have to open that door. And you're going to have to let him into your life. And then, then you can move. So I think we just answered it. What's the greatest thing I can do for Jesus? Open the door. Say yes. Yeah, open the door. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. <laughs> that was awesome. No, I hope that was like... <laughs> that, that was, that was great. Yeah, right? <laughs> so it's so crazy that the greatest gift he's given us is our free will. And the greatest thing that we can do for him is to give it back. Yeah. And to trust him with our lives. Well, I don't know. I'm doing a pretty good job down here on my own. Can I see your resume, Lord, before I trust you with my life? And he, he goes, okay, here's my resume. Like, that's how cool God is. He's like, okay, I created you. Uh, yeah, see there? Yeah, I created everything. Yeah, oh, references? Yeah, uh, Moses. Tell this guy I'm cool. <laughs> like, you know, like he'll History. work with us. We're so, yeah. we're so egotistical. We're so prideful. And yet God just, he's only love. Mm-hmm. So what, after you realize that, you go through withdrawing from drugs? Yeah. I think we still, there's still part of the testimony we haven't heard yet. Sailing, right? Well, that's what it is. Like, so I met Jesus in that car. He's real. He loves you. That's the truth of the world. And then he goes, but I'm still withdrawing in a stolen car in the middle of Miami. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't just go, okay, Matthew, now you're a pastor. And like, 
You know what I mean? Like now it was like, okay, I'm in a stolen car in the middle of Miami <laughs> withdrawing and I'm hallucinating that I just met the living savior. I might be in trouble, you know, like, okay, uh, how are we going to get through this? Right. So, and that's where I, that's where I like first started really walking out my sobriety with Christ. You know, as men, as Americans, we say, I can fix this, right? I'm not too weak. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not codependent. I'm not, I don't have body issues. I don't have anger issues. I don't have anxiety, right? We try to... Try to hide it from everyone else, yeah. <laughs> I've got duct tape yeah. my Ford F-150. I can fix anything. Yeah. If Jonah knows that I'm hurting and broken, he'll judge me. And But Jonah's just as broken and hurting as everybody. Right? You are too. You are too. <laughs> and, 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 and when we share that with one another, our weaknesses, our strength in Christ, we take away all the power of the evil one. Like when we admit that we are fallen and broken and we need a savior, that's when you're living in the body of Christ. Yep. And we got all these Christians walking around like, everything's perfect look at my life look at my perfect family we never fight we never have no problems dad's not addicted grandpa's not an alcoholic on thanksgiving our family's perfect we come to church all the kids got bow ties on in the pictures and it's just it's not true just a facade yeah and it's one of the greatest schemes of satan is to trick us into thinking that everybody else is perfect except you right and that's why god loves them especially oh my gosh just seeing everyone else's lives, just and like, why can't that be me? And yeah, did you see my post when I was all broken and dirty? I took a selfie. No, <laughs> no one posts that. They go, look at my perfect life. I'm on vacation with my toes crossed and a margarita, yeah. right? No, nobody goes. I'm at the worst point of my life. Look at my picture. <laughs> like, wow, that guy's real. I'm gonna follow him, but I'm gonna leave some hate too. <laughs> So throw some shade on. <laughs> Damn, bro, get better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, you look terrible. <laughs> okay, so now you're. Let's say, uh, let's just skip to the part. You're not addicted to drugs anymore. Right. What happened after that? So my mom was a secretary at a church, and she was um, just working as a secretary at a church, and I had no job, and I was still. Well, what was your parents' reaction when you told them you met Jesus? Like, oh, hey guys, by the way, for like the past few years, I've been under a bridge shooting up heroin, stealing cars, and everything. But I'm okay now. I don't think they believe me. Yeah. Right? I think they were just happy that I was the prodigal son. I had come home. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a job. I was just licking envelopes at church and cleaning the toilets. And my mom was kind of babysitting me. Yeah. Right? I'm almost 30 years old. And I'm, I go to work with my mom. And <laughs> I start, like, the pastor kind of took me under his wing and started mentoring me. And one day, they're like, hey, the, the youth guy can't make it today. Matthew, you want to take the youth kids? I was like, all right. And, and you'd uh, already been to seminary school at this point. No. No, this is before seminary. And I was like, I'll take the youth. And uh, just something clicked. Like like when I knew I was an alcoholic addict, the same kind of thing clicked. I just started reading the gospel of these kids, and it, it clicked. And uh, just started working at the church for free, going every day and doing whatever God said to do. Move these chairs, <laughs> clean this garbage, wash these toilets, read the gospel of this guy. And I was just really in tune with the spirit and what God wanted from me. And then one day he's like, I think the pastor was like, I think you should go to seminary school. I was like, yep, right. <laughs> I'm going to seminary. 
Uh, so did you know that this was your calling at this point, or did you want to be like, all right, I'll clean toilets for a couple of years, and then I'll build my way back up. I'll get my, I'll, I'll be like a lawyer or something. No, that's when I started working in the canals, picking garbage, because I'm still running for my call. I met Jesus. I felt the call, and still I go, no, I'm not good enough. Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know who I am? I'm not worthy. If I'm not worthy to be a firefighter, how in the world am I good enough to be a pastor? to represent the word of God, to preach the word of God. And then that, that scripture I read you last night from Matthew, you know, I've not called to come the righteous, but the sick, yeah. the sinners. And then, so if you go through your Bible and you look at the people that Jesus uses, right? It's like murderer, rapist, drunk, <laughs> prostitute, yeah. tax collector. You know, Paul was literally yeah. persecuting Christians. This was his job before. <laughs> yeah, man. So then what led you to here? Is that a long story? You went to seminary and then... How much time do we have? We'll just keep yelling. Fine. Uh, okay, well, this is going to be our longest podcast ever. Well, it was Easter Sunday. And uh, I'm, I'm still in Florida with this pastor who's kind of helping me, encouraging me to go to seminary. And it's the sunrise service. And he wants me to help him do this like Easter skit. And I'm one of the Roman guards outside the tomb. And my only line was, that's going to stink. Because they're talking about rolling the rock away and looking for the body. And I'm supposed to go, that'll stink, like in a Roman soldier. Um, So I'm up on the stage and I'm kind of reading through the script. And I hear Jesus go, look up. And I look up and there's this beautiful blonde woman in a pink dress walking in. And I heard, and Jesus just goes, that's her. And I go, that's her? What do you mean? He's like, that's her. And I go, I just told you yesterday that I'm going to seminary. I'm committing my life to you. I don't need another woman. I don't need a wife. It's just you and me, Jesus. And he goes, that's her. (laughs) And I go, okay, fine. So after the service, I run up to her and, and I don't know what I'm going to say, but, but they're walking out the door in the, in the fellowship hall and I run to her and I go, Hey, did we have a moment back there? And I thought she was going to slap me or like say, what are you talking about? And she just goes, yeah, we did. So like she, she had heard the voice too. That's awesome. And God was like, that's him. And so I tattooed her name on my chest <laughs> the next day. <laughs> and I sold all my stuff. And she was working in Las Vegas as a heroin addiction counselor. <laughs> right? I'm clean at this point. But I'm like, oh my gosh, you're an addiction counselor? Um, so I sold all my stuff, moved to Vegas. We got married, and then one night she just heard the Lord say, you got to go to Denver. And we're both from Florida, and she tells me, God said we got to move to Denver. And I go, I'm not moving to Denver. Never in my life thought about Colorado or Denver. I said, I came here to pack you up, and we're going back to Florida. She goes, no, we have to go to Denver. So I said, fine. We sold all our stuff again. We lived in a U-Haul truck for like 10 days while we were looking for housing in Denver. And then uh, we found Denver Seminary and they had spouse discount and we got scholarships and like God just flew the doors open. And we went to Denver Seminary and we were working in restaurants to pay for it. So for those people that don't really know what seminary is, can you kind of like give a two minute description? A lot of people call it cemetery because that's where faith goes to die. <laughs> but no, seminary is a, is a four year college. It really should be a doctor, but it's a master's degree where you're just thrown into biblical studies. I did a seminary, Master of Divinity Leadership Concentration. So I had homiletics, which is preaching, uh, New and Old Testament, two years of Hebrew, 
had to learn and write and say Hebrew, two years of Greek, Old Testament studies, New Testament studies, philosophy. And are the people teaching these things like true, strong believers? Or they they just... wrote this whole study Bible, Dr. Grotheis, Dr. Hess, Dr. Blomberg. Mm -hmm. So they're, like, they're in it. Yeah, but they're, they're teachers, right? Yeah. Some of them were practical pastors too, but for the majority, they just, they taught. And what was a sad thing is that it's a counseling school too. So my wife got a master's in Christian counseling. I got a master's in divinity, which is God's stuff. But I was like one of five guys that actually wanted to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm the only one that's actually doing practical yeah, ministry. They would do it like chaplaincy. That's that. Um, that's where you go into like nursing homes and just pray with people. And it's a lesser degree. Not lesser, but it takes less time. It's like an MA. Uh -huh. Um, that's two years. A lot of people wanted to be biblical teachers and teach in like Christian schools and things. Okay. So 90% of the school was counselors, mm -hmm. right? Because it was a really good counseling program too. They had on-site counseling things. And then 10% is the seminary, right? The actual God dorks. And, uh, and of those God dorks, an even smaller percent want to be pastors. Mm -hmm. Like it's not... And a lot of people fail out. A lot of people kind of lose faith as they, you know, because they want to shake you out of the, the box that you've put God in mm -hmm. and, and broaden your horizons and your understanding. And it's, it's not for everyone. And it's a lot of money. I wish they'd tell people up front, like, hey, I don't think this is for you. <laughs> but they let you go through the whole program. And your last year, you have to sit before the board, um, the panel of like the highest professors there. And they just grill you. They're like, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? What about this? What about that? And like any question you can think of. Dang. And just That's like, a good podcast right there. <laughs> we could do an apologetics one. That'd be fun. Uh, so do you think that it actually like helped? Like, would you be here without it? Would you want to do it again? Was it useful for you or was it just something? I used to joke that I was just doing it to get a piece of paper that I, you know, could hang a piece of paper that I can do what I'm already been doing. And the whole time I'm working at a church too in Denver. Um, it definitely helped me. For sure, it helped me. Like, there's things, um, reading scripture helped me, like taking it's it within the Hebrew, historical, like cultural. So just knowing what words actually mean. Yeah, if I remembered any of my yeah. Greek. Um, but Hebrew was fun. Greek was holy moly. <laughs> but, like, the best thing I think I learned was reading the scripture within the historical, cultural context. Because yep. we read scripture and we go, oh, this has nothing to do with us today. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, how do you know? What was going on in the time when Matthew wrote his gospel? Who was he writing to? Why was he writing it? Yeah. And then when you see that, you can make a better correspondence to, well, how is this applicable today? I can see the same kind of cultural situations that are happening in America that were happening in first century Palestine. Mm -hmm. Right? And then you're like, oh my gosh, God's a genius author. It's a masterpiece. How did he know? <laughs> it's all connected. That's awesome. And then you just end up here because there's obviously more testimony. You can go super deep. But Yeah, Pastor Jim walked into the restaurant that I was working at. I had just prayed like, Lord, please bring someone to recognize how amazing I am <laughs> and take me out of the restaurant business. And literally that next night, Pastor Jim walks in with his wife. They were on their way to Castle Rock to interview someone for the associate pastor. And they just stopped in the restaurant. There you are. Yeah. There's more to the story. Like, the way I got here is, is yeah. So, like, God's hand's been on all of it. And the important thing to know is that God's hand was always on it. So if you feel right now like God doesn't have you or God's not guiding you, 
you, you have to find a way to step outside of yourself and your situation and look and see what God is, is doing mm-hmm. through you. And you may never know. I mean, Satan's main goal is to make sure you don't understand that because once yeah. you do, then it's game over for his plan. Yeah. So. But like this, this is crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Right? Especially if you're The word became flesh and came down in his blood is what saves us from our sin because of a lady a long time ago ate an apple that a snake told her to eat. Yeah, sounds like a cult. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> yeah, I know. But I have, I have researched it. I have tested it. I have prayed about it. I have sought alternative religions and explanations. And Christianity is the only thing that doesn't contradict itself. It's the only thing that makes sense. If you can humble yourself and just realize how amazing God is and that how factual and accurate the Bible is that he's given us, it's, it's not a far leap to faith. Mm-hmm. It, can, it can only bring you to the precipice, right? All your knowledge, all the apologetics, all your research will get you so far. And you will always have to take that step out into faith. But I like to help people get as close as they can. Yeah. Right? Well, you're doing a great job. So. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. So I think we should hop into Q&A. I don't know how long we've been going for here. 54 minutes. Okay, not too bad. Oh, so Nailed it. Question. The first question we got here. We've got questions, man. <laughs> Some intense questions, guys. Thanks for asking these. But... um. So, I'm not going to say the username because we'll leave this person anonymous. I used to identify as bisexual and <clears throat> used to be very proud in it and had very supportive friends. But ever since I got better in my relationship with God, he has removed that bisexuality from me. The problem is that those certain friends still think I'm gay. And I don't know how to tell them I'm really not anymore. Any advice? Also, my name is blank and I love y'all's podcast. So, I guess I'll just go first here. If you're scared, I think, I think this is an amazing testimony you have. And a lot of us complain that we don't have a cool testimony, but this, this is a cool testimony. And you can use this to tell other people about Jesus. And yeah, it's going to be hard to tell those friends, but because they obviously don't know Jesus because they support you and your bisexuality, because they're not Christians, it sounds like. Um, but just use this as a tool and your friends may leave you for this and you're, you're going to be persecuted for it. But, but now you've changed. That's the whole point of a testimony is this is who I was before and this is who I'm after. And you got to share that with people. You can't be scared of holding that within you because that is how you save other people. So I would say just don't be scared of sharing it. Um, and yeah, that's really easy to say for me and really hard to do for you. But that, that's my advice on that. Uh, do you guys have anything to add to it? I think just identity and you know we all struggle with our identities really like um, you run with a certain crowd for a while you identify with them you build friendships you build strong friendships and then you don't you don't necessarily want to throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah right because these are your friends you have built um, friendships with them but I think the question to ask is if they were just being my friend because I was identifying as bisexual, are they really my friends? Mm-hmm. When I wanted to stop drinking, I lost a lot of friends, but they were really drinking buddies. Yeah. And that's the only thing we had in common, right? So we'd meet at the bar, we'd drink, and we'd just hang out and be miserable together. When I stopped drinking and I was like, hey, you want to come hiking? You want to come do something? They're like, no, we're going to the bar. Yeah. I'm like, man, we had nothing in common. 
you know, and it just kind of takes care of itself. I would encourage you to um, try to branch out, meet meet some other like-minded people, build new relationships, and and don't just leave the friends the friends I don't know if they're your real friends, but yeah, yeah, tell them this and be careful how you tell them. Obviously, don't just be like, you gotta explain this to them so they understand, yeah. which is the hard part. But every everyone's different when you explain the gospel to them, and you gotta gotta gauge what they want, like what will actually help them understand. But. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to see who, you know, is really your friend. Mm-hmm. You know, were they loving you because of your sexual orientation or were they loving you because of who you are? Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't know who you are just yet and yeah. you're still coming into that. So, like, I think like Luke said, this is a great opportunity to share the gospel and the power of Christ and, and our true identities as his children. What's your best advice for someone <clears throat> who, for instance, doesn't know who they are? What do you think? How do you find yourself? I think it. I think it has a lot to do with. Um, I think if you're trying to look experience. for if you if you look for who you are in yourself, you're not going to find anything. You have to find who you are in Christ. That's the most important thing to. Yeah, that's what Luke to. always says, and then everybody goes, "Okay, that's super helpful, Luke." Like <laughs> Thanks, Luke. the answer cannot always be have <laughs> faith in Jesus. <laughs> you know. Matthew, I'm looking at you. I'd say try everything. Try do everything. say yes to opportunities. You know. Don't limit to yourself to things that you think you're going to like or, or things that your friends like. If you have an opportunity that presents itself, say yes to it. If it's safe and if it's healthy, and that's a great way to find yourself. My mom threw me into everything. I did ice skating, horseback riding, <laughs> soccer. Like I'm like, you know, and, and some of it stuck. I really like art. I really like, but, you know, ultimately you will come into what super theologian Luke over here is talking about, like, your identity in Christ, but these little stepping stones of who am I really? It'll build your character. It'll yeah, it'll build your character. Things. And don't, I, I'd say don't put so much pressure on yourself. Yeah. Right? You are who you are. Yeah. And this is the truth of the world. Each and every one of us, every one of us, has been created for a unique purpose mm-hmm. that only we can fulfill, designed and created by God our Creator. And what the world wants to do is put everyone into categories. Right? Oh, you're with you're with this clique and you're with this clique and you're over here and you're identify as this. And the more we identify ourselves with the earthly, the more we separate ourselves from the true calling and purpose that God has on our life. Mm-hmm. You are not like anybody else. No one can do for God what you are going to do with and through God. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you fail to do it, God's not like, oh, I got another Jonah. Jonah B, <laughs> come on, he didn't do it. Let's go, you're up. No, it doesn't get done. It doesn't get done. He might put you in a whale, though. So You might get in a whale. <laughs> but, like, that's, you're a part of the body of Christ, right? Yeah. I think I, I explain to a lot of people that the body of Christ, we're all the red blood cells, yeah. right? And each of us has information and oxygen and stuff to deliver throughout the rest of the body, right? The red blood cells bring the oxygen. The oxygen is the message of God, is our calling, is our purpose. So you are the only red blood cell that can carry that oxygen message to where it needs to go. And if you die or get tripped up or become a blood clot, you're hurting the body. So don't be like anyone else. Be Jonah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think... We're like really picking on Jonah. Follow God's will. They're always like, okay, I should become a pastor, a missionary, jobs like that. But the body of Christ needs to have everyone. If, if, If everyone was a pastor, who would fix the toilets in the church? Like... The pastor. Yeah. <laughs> I just fixed the door today. But like, you need, you need a plumber. And that may not seem as 
glorious of a job as being a pastor, but it needs everyone to make it a work. So yeah. you can be following God's will for your life if you're an electrician, a plumber. It doesn't, it's different for everyone, like we're saying. So yeah. And Christ on. looks down and he sees the foot of the cross and we're all level. Yeah. And the pastors are like, look at me, I'm way better, I'm a Pharisee. No. All right. Hey, I have been struggling with a lot of depressive thoughts and just constant tiredness, mentally and physically. I've been spending much more time with Jesus in prayer and reading his word as it always helps me to focus. But still all this darkness is lingering around me and I don't know what to do anymore. I talk to God so much and give it to him. It's just getting too much slowly. I'd rather hear, I'd like to hear if you guys maybe have some advice. I want to stay anonymous if you choose to talk to me about New Year podcast. Thank you for all you do. Okay, so I know Matthew's probably going to have like an amazing answer for this that's a lot better than mine but i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna try um so you know like with jesus when you're like depressed and stuff and then you can like talk to people or whatever and then maybe they'll be like luke and they'll be like oh you're not trusting me you don't love him um i don't know um but in like in the bible like some of like the strongest people like that god used like were like sad and they had depression and like David, he was mad at his own sin. Elijah was afraid and Jonah ran away. He was angry. Job was, had physical loss and was sad. And then Moses was met, like depressed about like the sin, uh, sins of others. Um, <clears throat> but they were all like, they all had like their own like negative thoughts. And some people can like say like, can you be a real Christian with depression? Is that, is that a thing? Like, are you... It, are you a real Christian if you have depression, if you don't just like give everything to God? But um, I think it can be argued that it's like almost necessary to have negative thoughts. Negative thoughts, they, they grow you. And even Jesus had negative thoughts. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, he was anguished for the future. He didn't want to do it. Um, and, and when you have negative thoughts, when you're sad about things like Moses, he was, he was mad at the sin of others. He was like, why are they worshiping this cow? And so I think that almost it drives you in a way to see like the world as you hadn't seen it before. And um, it just goes back perfectly to your testimony when you said that Moses killed a guy with a trident, I think. <laughs> but it goes back perfectly to what you said is like Jesus didn't take that addiction away from you because you asked him. He, 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 made you work for he made you work for it. He made you go through it. And that is what made you appreciate what he really did for you and made you who you are today. So I think, I think depression and just anxiety and everything that comes with this world, it's a fallen world. And we need to experience it to know what God's saving us from, um, in a way. But it's almost necessary. It, it, it is necessary to grow stronger. Well, suffering causes perseverance and perseverance. Mm-hmm. Character and character. Hope. Come on! Who's your youth pastor? Um, so I think a really important thing to just state is that depression, true depression, is not sadness. It's a it's a it's a disease. Yeah. You know, it's really a sickness. It's an illness. I suffer from depression. I know lots of people that do in the recovery group that I participate in, and like in my story, it wasn't it wasn't just me and Jesus. There were a lot of people in my life yeah. that helped me. I think that sometimes we can think that it's all Jesus and it is all Jesus and we read our books and we pray to God and we're still depressed and we go, well, why isn't this helping? And in those times I go, 
I think God goes, well, what about the body of Christ that I gave you, right? What about these other people that I'm putting in your life to support you and to love you? Yeah, so, it's like if you cut yourself, you don't just pray for God to heal it. You go to a doctor. Yeah. And that's the same way you can go to a doctor for depression if it's like actually an actual definition of depression. Yeah. They can help you with medicine and stuff. God can use people like that. Um, so yeah, like medicine is an extreme. I, I never recommend like medicine absolutely helps some people, but it's there's other coping mechanisms and skills that you can put in place before you have to be on medication. And even then, just like a little serotonin booster can change your life. And it's not a lot. There's a big stigma around mental health and uh, medication and seeing a shrink, they call them, or a psychologist or even a counselor. Um, it's that we have a culture of shame. Maybe not so much anymore because now it's cool to have a therapist. But but honestly, so I always tell people that when, when I'm like that, I confess. I confess my sadness. I confess my depression to myself. First of all, you have to admit that you're depressed, right? If you're living in denial, you're going to stay in that cycle. I confess it to myself. I confess it to God, right? God, I'm depressed. I'm in your word. I need you to help me. But then you also have to tell one other trusted individual. And if you can tell more, that's great. But you have, to, you have to reach outside of yourself and you have to tell somebody that you trust and that you love you and you say, I'm struggling, you know, and it's more than sadness. And I think I need help. I think I need to talk to someone, right? I think I need a support group. I go every Tuesday night, right, to celebrate recovery um, for my addictions. But now that I don't use anymore, I still struggle with depression and identity and people pleasing and, you know, anxiety, all these things. You look at Aquaman and you're like, there's no way he has these problems. But no, I go to my group every Tuesday night and I sit with men that I love and trust and I call them all the time and I say, hey, I'm feeling, I'm feeling overwhelmed today. I'm feeling depressed today. And every one of those men pick up the phone and they're there for me and we read scripture together and we pray together. So I would, I would just recommend scripture is great, prayer is great, reach outside of yourself. You know, find someone, find a counselor, find a friend, your mom. Well, you're just kind of already doing that by asking us this question, so you're already, you're already partly there. Um, what was that? Well, because she's, like, like asking for help. Advice. Oh, that's what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Uh, I would just recommend go read Psalm 13, Lamentations 3, just kind of elaborate on what Jonah's talking about. And just, like, being a Christian doesn't mean all your depression and sadness goes away. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> An example I really like is um, there's a pool, right? And it's clear when it's like created and stuff like that. And there's and then there's running water through it and stuff. And then something can happen in life. There's a rock that blocks the stream. And then the water flow stops. And then the water gets stagnant. Slowly mold starts to grow and it gets dark and murky and ugly. And then um, it's almost like you're not reaching out to anybody. You're not like requesting for this rock to be removed you're not doing anything you're wallowing in yourself you're like i'm dirty i'm ugly nobody wants to do anything with me and then and then the more mold grows and more algae and stuff and then um then you can realize it's like god god is there and he can help me and then you pray and then god removes that stone and then he comes through you from like that fresh mountain water and he just like wipes it all out and it cleans the the pond again and then like through him you can become clean again I think we answered that one pretty good. Yeah, God's a pool boy. Oh, one more thing. With a skimmer. I feel like when you're just focusing on yourself and like Mm. your own feelings, that can also be partially the problem. Like like wallowing and and then it grows deeper. You got to look outside of yourself, like Matthew's saying, talk to other people and then also try to be helpful to other people and be like Jesus to other people and that don't just focus on your own emotions and what you're thinking, but focus on how you can help others. And I think that'll take, 
don't know if that takes like the concentration off your own sadness or how it works. But no, so that service is it's the pillars of recovery. Mm-hmm. So get outside yourself, serve, right? Yeah. And then when you're in service to other, you f- you feel good about what you're doing, like you you've accomplished something, mm-hmm. right? So you have for the moment you have a purpose, and when you do little service to people, you also have like that that joy of completing something. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this huge like when you look at the calling that God has on your life, it can be overwhelming to you. But when you do these little service things for the kingdom and get outside yourself, there's these little victories. And you have to celebrate the good times because you're not always going to be depressed and sad. So count your blessings too is a huge one. Yeah. So get ask for help, count your blessings, get outside yourself and do service. Yeah, I think if you do that and continue to read your scripture and pray, and I think you'll in a week you'll see a change in just your mental health and your attitude and your depression. All right, next question. Bethany George, she has one every podcast, so thanks again. Oh, Bethany. <laughs> but does God, this is the question, does God want us to have blind faith in him or does he want us to question everything he does and why he does it to have a closer, more understanding relationship? I'm sure it's a mix of both, but I don't know where that line is. He doesn't want blind faith. Yeah, he wants, he wants question, a relationship. ask everything, doubt everything, test everything. Don't be a Christian because your mom or your dad are Christians. Mm-hmm. No. But it also says don't test him. Don't, don't test him. him. But it also says test everything. Test all prophecies. Hold on to what is good and throw out what is bad. Mm-hmm. And right? like, an, an example of like him being tested is Gideon. He was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough. Make, make the grass wet and the fleece dry. It's like there's no way that's going to happen. And then it happened. And then he still didn't believe it. He was like, oh, yeah, maybe it was chance. The sun got it to before and it dried the fleece. And then he was like, okay make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And then he made that happen. Yeah, and then he's like, let me win this battle. And God's like, you got too many men. Go home if you're scared. And now he's got 10,000. He's like, and he goes, that's not enough. Hey, go home if you're not ready. When they go down and drink from the river, if they're like, send them home. But if they're looking and they're ready, take them. And I think he fought that battle with what? 300. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, what, 30,000 to 300? What does it really mean to test God? Because when, when Jesus is standing on top of the rock and the devil is test, er, tempting him, he's like, jump off this and make all the angels catch you. And then Jesus quotes somewhere in the Old Testament that you shouldn't test God. You shall not test the Lord your yeah. God. Um, I think it's all about motivation. What's your motive? What's your intent? Because it can, it can turn into like that soothsaying, like fortune-telling kind of yeah. stuff. But then when I'm, when I'm trying to discern my call and my purpose... And I'm like, God, if this is what you want from me, show me, right? That can be interpreted as testing God. So it's really the motivation of your heart when you're, when you're approaching God like that. Obviously, throwing yourself off a cliff mm-hmm. would be that, you know, that's wrong motivation. Yeah. Like you want to see if you're doing it to show an entire village below that God is real and you know God's going to catch you if you do it. How about it? I, I mean... <laughs> Are you testing God if you know that he's going to catch you? If God's all-powerful, can he create a test that not even he can answer? And then would he be all-powerful? On the next episode. <laughs> Tune in next week. Um, I, don't, I don't think we can cover that next week. Man. That's it. like two years of preparation for that. That's a straw man fallacy. It's a, it's a ridiculous question. <laughs> don't even think about it. But I'm going to do answer this question. Like, where's the line? What do you mean? Trusting God and trusting God. 
No, I think that's it. You trust God with everything and test everything else. Mm-hmm. Right? Test the Bible. It doesn't say don't test the Bible. The test scripture. Yeah. yeah, think about Lee Strobel where he went out like a case for Christ. I'm going to prove that all of this is wrong and it's all controversial and it's all contradictory. And he winds up believing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the greatest skeptics that have given us the furthest understanding in our doctrine and our theology. Because it was that seeking that broadened our understanding. Because mm-hmm. those people that just go, okay, I believe it. They often fall into bigotry and racism and hate things because they read the Bible so literally. They don't know why they believe it. And they don't know why. They, but they pull out one pericope or they pull out one little piece of scripture and they model their whole life on it. On, a wife is like a leaky faucet. That's in the Bible. Don't say that to your wife. If you're watching, I say that to my wife all the time. It's not a good thing to say to a wife, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a good thing, right? No, yeah, anything out of t- context can mean anything out of context. So, like, that's blind faith, right? You hear one sermon and one guy says homosexuals are going to hell, right? And you just, okay, yep, one preacher told me that. And then you're like, that's not what the Bible says. That's not God. God doesn't, right? Sin is sin. You're going to hell. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, that's the only way you're going to hell. Yeah. Right? How you live and work out your life, that's between you and Jesus. All right, last question we got here. There's more? Nicole, can you talk about how manifesting slash star signs slash crystals are wrong in this episode? And there's like a super easy answer to this. Like anything. Do not put any other gods before me. If you're looking to any other spiritual substance besides God, it's obviously wrong. And that's why they're wrong. That's I'm not a, to say that it won't work, though. There's a verse in the Bible where it says to not look at the stars and the, the skies, right? To like. Matthew's probably pulling it up right now. I am. I'm looking for it. So what about Christmas trees? Well, we're not asking them to show us the future, like tell us what our destiny is. No, but Christmas trees are a pagan sign that they used to bring inside to ward off the evil spirits of the winter that killed all the other trees except the evergreens. Yeah. It was the festival of Saturnalia. Well, and it was the. I mean, entire the entire Christmas tradition, like most Christian traditions, are all heathen. Yeah. <laughs> so Eastern, yeah, because with the whole sweater is heathen, Matthew. What are you doing? I know it's Tyrannosaurus Rex. Dinosaur bones were put here by Satan to confuse us. <laughs> on the next episode, no. Um, there's some sarcasm in myself. Please don't believe all of this. Um, Paul says, if you're at a table and you're eating meat sacrificed to idols. We know that it's nothing. There's no little G gods. There's no Zeus. There's, no, there's only one true God. So that meat that was offered up to Zeus, we can eat it. Because we're not worshiping Zeus. We're not praising Zeus for the meat. We're just eating meat that our God, Yahweh, provided for us. Wait, so in the story where Daniel doesn't eat the meat, is that because... Was it pork healthy. or something? Or was it... Just- I don't know. Stay on the train, though. So look, you're eating meat. You're eating meat sacrificed to an idol, and there's a lesser Christian, not a lesser Christian, but a newer Christian there, and they're like, "That was sacrificed to Zeus. I can't believe you're eating that." And you're like, "Baby Christian," and like, like, because you know it has no meaning. It has no power. But if I become a stumbling block to that Christian, it's not good. So I should refrain from eating that meat sacrificed to an idol if it's going to make that Christian stumble. So it's the same thing with crystals. We know crystals have zero power, right? Mm -hmm. Crystals were created by God, right? Maybe they're a good conductor of electricity or whatever it is, but that's 
right? There's no mystical power in the crystals. But maybe, uh, is is there really no mystical power? Because, like, even in the Bible, like, I mean, like, the Susser, like, <laughs> she raises Samuel, like, in the fire and lets Saul talk to him. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if she used crystals or if she used some certain dust or something, but... There's, there's, there's power. power there's power things. in probably manifestation. There's power in, uh, like, you know, when you take God's gifts and you, like, turn it on its head. Where is the power? In Satan. In Satan. And what, when does Satan have power? When you let him. When you doubt. No, when you... He only has as much power as we allow him to have. So if we want to manifest a crystal, a healing crystal... But, like, what's the truth? Healing comes from Christ. Right, and we live in that. You want to wear a crystal necklace, and you know that it has no real power outside of Christ Jesus. I don't see anything wrong with that. If you're going around saying, This is a magical healing crystal that helps my breathing, and you're telling other people and you're not talking about Jesus, I think that's when we fall into things. Mm -hmm. But people are so, like, I was born in August, so that makes me a Leo, right? By the astrology charts. Yeah. What does that even mean? Right? Like, I, it's fun to be like, oh, I'm a Leo. You're, you're an Aries. But if you say that to, like, somebody who's, like, super legalistic about the Bible and about God, they'd be like, <gasps> you study the signs? You know what sign you are? You're going to hell. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus died on the cross for all the sins except those people who know what sign they are by the month on the calendar. It's, and we have to be gentle in how we approach these things. So I don't know if this person is, is wearing crystals or believes in crystals or has a friend that's doing tarot cards on her or something. I'm sure she has friends just asking her why it's not right, I guess. That probably aren't Christian. That's what I'm thinking. This so it doesn't is. have to be a crystal or a card or tarot cards or anything. It's anything. It's just the power that you give it to. Yeah. yeah. Money for some people is greater than God, right? Healthcare, doctors, science, Relationships. right? Whatever you put your faith in that is not in Jesus is wrong. So filling crystals with anything in the world that people put their faith in. And, yeah. and that's why it's wrong. Yeah. That's the only, crystals are beautiful. Well, and with that, I think we're going to end off the episode. Matthew, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for driving down. Thanks for the knowledge, man. If you guys ever, <laughs> if you guys ever come close to the salt, Every Wednesday night, there's youth group, very good food. 6.30. And a message that will actually make you question. And you're not going to be like, yeah, bro, God loves me. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know, that came out wrong, didn't it? Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. That out. <laughs> yeah, we can. That was a good sign off. We'll cut it. <laughs> Perfect. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs>